Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. My name is Faisal Khan. I'm your co-host for today. I have with me Kathleen Brightman, who is one of the co-founders of Tezos, one of the new ICOs that is coming out. She took some time out from her busy schedule so we could have a little chat and understand what Tezos is all about. So Kathleen, how are you? I'm very well, and yourself? Not too bad. So for those who don't know, you are one of the co-founders of Tezos, is that correct? Is that how we pronounce it? Yeah, I mean, it's a made-up word. Um, so really, any way you pronounce it is is quite fine. But uh, my husband and I pronounce it Tezos. Tezos. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and how did you get into the space of, you know, launching a coin or, you know, cryptocurrency, whatever the nomenclature may be. So maybe a little bit of background on you and your husband. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> The, the joke internally is that my husband is the brains and I'm the brawn. Um, I'm the CEO of the company that's producing the Tezos blockchain, and he's the CTO. Um, and so really, it's his vision. He's the architect. Um, my background is, um, is, is more on the business side of things. Um, I've, I've worked in finance and consulting most of my career. Um, so I, I take care of all the operational aspects of, of uh, the Tezos blockchain, and I deal with business partnerships. Um, I, I deal with attorneys. I deal with our marketing group. Um, it, it's all the all the non technical things. Um, by way of background, um, I, I studied analytical philosophy in undergrad, which is very useless. Um, unfortunately, all the philosophy um, all the philosophy factories were closed by the time I graduated, um, and so I had to find a job elsewhere. Um, I, I worked for a year out of a venture capital group. Um, I worked. Um, I worked at a hedge fund and I worked at Accenture for uh, two years before going to R3, which many people who follow the space will know. Um, they've just raised a $100 million uh, part of their Series A, a round, um, so they've been in the press recently. Um, but they, they started a consortium of 40-plus uh, banks to use blockchain technology, um, and I was a strategy associate there. And this was the first uh, consortium that came out basically after the regular blockchain, if you will, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think it was the first, you know, the original blockchain consortium, if you will, um, before Hyperledger and, and all these guys took off. 
what is Tezos? Why did you even come up with this idea? Aren't there enough blockchains out there? And whose brainchild was it? Um, I, I think it's mostly uh, my, my husband's the architect, right? So he's really the one who got into the weeds and uh, and really helped out um, build, build a vision and see it through. Um, my husband is uh, a, a really great engineer. Obviously, I'm very biased, um, but he has a pretty prestigious background. Um, he, he went to a co Technique. Uh, he has a degree in financial engineering from NYU. Um, he worked on Wall Street for 10 years in some of the most competitive desks in finance. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a hedge fund manager or a trader, I believe. Yeah, he was a portfolio manager at some point. And yeah, he was a, a quant. Uh, so he was weirdly on, on the middle between like writing the algorithms and also like creating the economic models uh, for, for these high-frequency trading algorithms. Um, yeah, so he was responsible for, um, you know, sort of uh, coming up with and implementing these uh, high-frequency trading strategies, which is extraordinarily competitive. Um, so, but, but that, you know, that's not really how we got into, into Bitcoin or into, um, into this um, space. We're both actually very philosophically aligned with it. Um, as a complete aside, we're both like crazy crypto anarchists. And so when, when Bitcoin came out, um, my husband knew about it through the cryptography mailing list which is actually run by one of our close friends, Perry Metzger. Um, and, you know, pretend internet money, if you will, is kind of like this great um, cypherpunk um, pipe dream that was never quite realized in the 1990s, but obviously has a lot of implications if you consider how we make transactions on the web today. Um, there's no native digital asset to the internet. And the cypherpunks very much wanted this for philosophical reasons, which was like to you know, free people from uh, uh, centralized banks and all these you know, terrible things. Um, so, so we took it with interest when someone said that they had solved the problem. Um, now, there's a lot of things we like about Bitcoin, and I think there's a certain elegance to it that I would have never come up with. Um, but there was something also very visceral that we, we, well, we had a rather visceral reaction to what we didn't like about Bitcoin. Um, and I think Arthur articulates it well, that it was basically comes down to governance. Um, blockchains are a commons. So the ledger is shared by everyone, right? Even though the individual tokens are, are owned by, owned by people in full. And so, um, you know, in economic theory, commons typically fall privy to two issues. Um, there's maintenance of the commons, so the so-called tragedy of the commons is when you can't quite figure out or coordinate on how to maintain the basic, um, the basic measures for how people are going to distribute and, and um, service uh, this common property. And there's also the issue of governance, like how do you move forward, how do you coordinate? Um, and, and the original Bitcoin blockchain really offered no solution for that. Um, and so what Arthur did... Uh, essentially, what Tezos is, is more or less an abstraction of a blockchain. Um, we separate the blockchain into three layers, the network layer, the transaction layer, and the consensus layer. And we have a very modular design, um, which allows us to swap in and swap out new versions of the protocol rather seamlessly. So the protocol can upgrade itself and push those upgrades to the network um, without a lot of hesitation and without a lot of uh, friction. So if you have a better uh, transaction engine underneath or a faster settlement mechanism, you can just swap it out. Exactly. And the idea is that people are always going to be working on these things and tinkering with them. 
um, in most in most good software packages like Google Chrome, what I'm using right now to talk to you, you know, you get updates passively and you don't really think about it too much and you can add applications on top of them. But underneath all of that, the core protocol is constantly being iterated on. And why shouldn't the blockchain have the same luxury? So what is Tezos? I mean, it's a blockchain. There are many blockchains out. What specifically does your blockchain do? Is it meant for a specific industry or is it, are you, I mean, are you, you're doing an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. That means you're going to be launching some coins and you're going to be, and we'll come to that part. But what is the purpose of launching this specific blockchain? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so basically, um, Tezos, Tezos is a smart contract platform, ultimately, um, smart contracts are a way to embed business logic directly into the protocol so that you can move around things and basically program your tokens. So it, it's more or less like, for those who don't know, it's like if-then-else kind of statements, right? So when you have logic built into value transfer, you know, that's sort of married into a contract, you know, if a certain condition is met, you know, value is transferred. So if I say... Uh, a sm- simple example could be if the price of Oracle stock goes to 80, you know, sell it, sell it. So, you know, they look at the genesis uh, of that uh, stock reporting. And if it hits 80, the stock is sold, value is transferred, and the ledgers are adjusted. So that's essentially what a smart contract does in a very nascent sense, right? Um. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, unfortunately, the name smart contract causes more problems than it solves because people imagine that there's like, this complex legal prose embedded into it. But really, you know, smart contracts can only account for things that we can anticipate. Um, and you're very much uh, embedding this business logic with the goal of doing like one or two very simplistic functions. And is it also fair to say that the original blockchain can be thought of as, you know, the programming language of basic. You could only do so much. And then, you know, R3 and Ripple and Tezos and Ethereum, they're all can be considered as different programming languages, each offering a certain flavor, advantage, uh, focus point, you know. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah, actually. Um, so we wrote our, our blockchain in OCaml, um, which is kind of esoteric in the United States programming language. Um, and the reason that we chose OCaml was because we thought a blockchain is basically a programming language. And OCaml is actually great for writing programming languages. So that was very much part of our philosophy going in is like, hey, this is a way of like describing how the world works and, and you know, the state of a certain uh, set of accounts. Um, you know, it's the most concise and accurate and um, well ex- executing way to do this. Um, and that's that's kind of from the engineering side, what the directive was. But but coming back to the purpose, what was the what was the epiphany that caused you to go out and you know develop this this blockchain, so to speak? Um, I think it was more of an obsession with figuring out what could make you know kind of solving this intractable problem with Bitcoin than anything else. And smart contracts, we weren't sure you know what their value prop would be when we first started. Um, developing our smart contracts language. Um, but I think over time, we're going to come upon and converge on use cases and standards that will kind of present themselves through experimentation. But do you, did you go with a basic thesis uh, running into the problem? Meaning, you know, you, you, your husband could have said, you know, well, here's a stock trading problem. And if I could, you know, somehow build a smart contract for this, that's a use case by itself or something. Um, I think we're 
were most interested. So 2015, 2014, we um, encountered some people who were thinking about using the technology for um, capital markets. And uh, my husband and I are, are biased, right? Because we know more about finance than we do about like healthcare or any other industry, really. Um, so we see a lot of promise in the OTC derivative market um, for, for blockchain technology. So a little bit of the programming language was influenced by um, my husband's background in finance, but more, more or less, we were just uh, trying to figure out a way to express business logic in a concise manner. Um, so our programming language uh, for, for um, Tezos is kind of uh, between Bitcoin script language, which is very low, low level, and Ethereum's um, programming language, which is, um, it looks a lot like JavaScript. So um, arguably, it looks a little bit more intuitive. Um, I think Arthur, um, Arthur and Benjamin, who's the developer who's really behind this, um, you know, they have it based on like Forth and, and, uh, and Cat, uh, which are two hmm. kind of old programming uh, languages. And how many, how many people are in the original founding team at Tezos? Um, there are five people in the original team, yeah. And you guys have been at it since when? Mm, I would say, like, um, it's been in development since, like, March 2014. Obviously, we, you know, there's there's sometimes where it was more in development, sometimes where we, we couldn't afford to pay the developers, so on and so forth. Um, so it's been kind of a work in progress since then. I mean, it's all the rage these days. You cannot read any business or any magazine online without coming across the word ICO. What is an ICO? And I mean, let's assume I don't know anything about an ICO. How would you explain it to me? Yeah, ICO stands for Initial Coin Offering. Um, and basically what it is is a, a way to distribute tokens in a, in a blockchain network. Um, and these tokens- so is this the same, th- same way how... Ripple introduced XRP or or Bitcoin, which is mined, but you are doing uh, you're you're not mining; you're just distributing them, right? Um, yeah. So so we have um, what's called proof of stake, uh, which is what we're launching with. So actually, you know, we don't have uh, a proof of work mechanism to distribute the tokens. So Bitcoin has you know twenty one million Bitcoin, and the way they're dispersed is through um, mining activities. Um, which, which uh, you know, mint new tokens and, and push them out to the network. Unfortunately, with proof of stake, you don't have that natural, elegant um, issuance model. And so what we're doing instead is um, we're, um, we're, we're selling, uh, rather the foundation is um, recommending an allocation of tokens to the Genesis block based on contributions to a Swiss nonprofit. Um, and... You know, there's a, a, a suggested um, allocation amount, so one Bitcoin for 5,000 Tezos tokens, and we're going to sell them over the course of, uh, or rather have them um, have them up for donation for the, the course of two weeks. Um, in, in so, so when you say you have them up for donation, is there a specific amount that you will be releasing? Um, yeah, so... Basically, what we're going to do is have an open-ended donation period for, for two weeks. And so as many people as, you know, whoever wants to, to get Tezos tokens will donate Bitcoin to the Swiss Foundation during that time. And that's how we're distributing the tokens since we have no, like, elegant proof-of-work system to, to fall back on. Um, 
another another you know issue this presents is that we think most of the tokens um, that will ever uh, be realized in the Tezos network will come through this time, and so it's important for us, you know, philosophically, uh, to get Tezos tokens in the hands of uh, as as many people who want to participate, um, just to make the network more decentralized and robust. And is this Tezos blockchain up and running? Um, yeah, so we have an alphanet. Um, it has, you know, it has bugs like any other um, thing that's not in production yet. Um, uh, so we're working on it. We're iterating on it. Some days it's up, some days it's down. Uh, we released it to people on a, you know, it, it, invitational basis in February. And now it's anyone who, who wants to jump on it can ping us on Slack and we'll add them to the Alphanet channel. And how much, how much are you willing to, or, or not willing rather, how much are you aiming to raise? Because I've seen weird numbers out there. I've seen as low as $7 million and as high as $300 million. So that's quite a swing. What, are you, what do you think you'll get? You know, I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I think the market has changed a lot since I first um, embarked upon this. Um, there's, there's really... It, it it changes a lot. Like I would have never guessed that Bancor, um, which had an ICO yesterday, would have received like hundred and forty million dollars. That that was a complete surprise to me. Um, so we aren't an ERC twenty token, so we aren't a token on the Ethereum network, which means we don't offer instant liquidity um, to people who are who want to trade. Um, so I think that'll deter a lot of people. Um, the lack of cap in our model also deterred a lot of people. From it because um, they don't have you know they don't know that if they put in a million dollars they'll get like ten percent of the network or whatever um, so so I think it'll be less egregious than most people are making it out to be um, I think that a lot of people um, are, are quite negative about us on the internet um, because we didn't put a cap in. Um, but I think it was the... Well, everyone has their own flavor, right? So that's your that's your model. I mean, that's your prerogative. Yeah, I mean, it was very much philosophically in line with, like, we want this to be an extremely decentralized token. Um, we think that's how it moves forward for the path to success. Um, and I could have suggested that the foundation engineer its way around into having something very complex and onerous. Um, but I, I've seen, met people on Wall Street who don't know what a you know Dutch auction is, and I, I wasn't. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, and, I didn't expect but do, people to figure do you that see out. yourself uh, coming into an agreement that somewhere down the line, the token owners currently and the foundation itself then would have a consensus to issue more tokens, and how many uh, would that would that be something that would be considerable? So one thing we can do with Tezos, which I think is really interesting. Um, is we can have the network like come to consensus on issuing new tokens. And the reason that I think it's valuable is because we can do that to pay people, essentially, for contributing to the network. So we offer a pecuniary incentive for people to contribute to the Tezos protocol. Um, and we can also use this as an alternative financing structure for the foundation. Um, though I, I don't think it's going to come to that, and it does require the consensus of the network, but when we first um, were looking at this, we had a terrible time getting press, and really no one cared about us. So we thought in our worst-case scenario, you know, if the foundation raises $5 million and it really can't even pay, like, our developer salaries for four years, um, it might want to consider 
uh, issuing new tokens at some point in the future to finance its activities. It looks less so like that's going to be an issue. Um, obviously, like we want to do more capital intensive, uh, intensive things with a larger network. Um, and so I'll be pursuing something separate as I'm not affiliated with the foundation. Um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, it, it's very unlikely at this point that um, Tezos will have another token issuance event. Um, but I think it's cool that they can coordinate on chain to do this, and it's not going to be at the behest of a foundation. And do you have a an anchor client, if you will, or an anchor use case or an anchor organization that has decided to work on the Tezos platform? Um, I've had a lot of people approach me. So after I left R3, um, I think a lot of people were interested in what I was up to. Um, so I have a lot of inbound traffic from banks. And um, I, I don't want to work with banks necessarily at this point um, because they, they move much more slowly than I do. Um, which is, you know, both a bad and a good thing. Um, point being, I think that a licensing model, um, you know, through a, a, a consultancy or something like that would probably work better for the Tezos Foundation. If they want um, organizations to use their software and have consulting services. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, I, I've been approached by a lot of people, um, but I also know that it's a massive time suck. And I think our efforts are better used on trying to make the most um, well-executing and efficient um, blockchain out there uh, and focusing on our internal expertise, which is the protocol itself, rather than trying to help, um, rather than trying to help banks and consultancies um, figure out how to use our, our network and, and understand the protocol at a base level. Fair point. I, I, I think that's the right approach. Once you concentrate on the protocol itself, I think the use cases will automatically present themselves. They'll just, they'll just mushroom out of nowhere. It's, um, it's tempting to do it because like, that's definitely where my, my background yes. is and where my biases are. And I, I know I'd be much happier doing that than... Um, than it's also a distraction also, right? Yeah, ultimately, it's like I, I know myself pretty well when it comes to like where I lose focus and... Um, doing business development type stuff while it's fun and interesting for me, it's not the best use of my time right now. So the $64 million question, you were supposed to launch, uh, do the two-week period in May, which has now been extended. When can we expect that time frame to come? Um, that's that's a very good question indeed. Um, so we're waiting on a Swiss approval um, through through the Swiss nonprofit authorities, uh, and the foundation is run by this guy, Johan Gevers, who is extraordinarily um, conservative and prudent in his demeanor, which is, you know, part of the reason I'm so glad that he's going to be stewarding these funds. Um, so he's being very cautious and he's waiting until this approval comes through. It was supposed to come through, unfortunately, in May. It hasn't yet. Um, so I'm being very hesitant to communicate a, a new date to the public, lest I have to revise my estimate again. Um, but we said June, and I want to give people some ample time to prepare themselves. So, you know, realistically, late June at this point um, is probably the most realistic time frame, though no guarantees yet, because I really want to have the, um, the foundation on board and with the approval in its hands before we go out and communicate a date and get ready. And, and this is... Uh, you said Switzerland, so that's pretty interesting. It's not based in the U.S., not based in London. You're going to have a Swiss uh, registration on this entire foundation? 
Yeah. So basically, you know, the way it works is essentially <clears throat> um, Johan set up a nonprofit in Switzerland to promote uh, the use of the Tezos protocol. And they'll be the ones um, managing the initial issuance of tokens um, and, and the business development activities afterwards um, with, the, with the donations to the foundation. And I understand you're right now running through Europe, and I, I know we have very few minutes left. So are you doing a roadshow? Is that, is that what the, what's the intent for traveling um, to Europe right now? Yeah, so I actually came over, uh, I actually came over to see my in-laws um, in France. Um, this trip was scheduled for really a long time. And then I, I got an invitation to speak at Founders Forum. Uh, they have like a small, um, they have a small conference for women specifically. Um, and I was super happy that they, they invited me over. So I'm going to London this afternoon to speak at that. Um, and I, I also, uh, I also, you know, know some folks in, in Greece that I wanted to see. So yeah, I guess it's it's more of a networking trip than anything else. Um, but I, I needed to see my family for this particular event, so it was mostly anchored on that. But I inevitably find like a dozen excuses to stay every time I go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, listen, it was really nice having you. I hope your zigzag across Europe is as successful as you have it in your mind. And hopefully, lots of luck on that launch. And don't worry about the negative on the internet. I think you're doing a good thing. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care, Kathleen. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.